This is Esculapius, a podcast that uncovers the human side of our healthcare professionals. I'm your host, John Neary. My guest today is Dr. Sean Tepper-Levine. Dr. Tepper-Levine has been practicing osteopathy in private practice since 2003. She received her DO from Nova Southeastern School of Osteopathy and completed her residency in neuromusculoskeletal medicine at St. Barnabas Hospital in Bronx, New York. Today, she specializes in osteopathic manipulation, nutrition, and functional medicine. Sean, welcome to the show. Thank you, John. What is osteopathy and how does it compare to uh, allopathic medicine? So let's start with the origin of osteopathy because Andrew Taylor Still, who was the founder of osteopathy in the late mid to late 1800s, was an allopathic physician. And the reason he um, branched off from traditional medicine at the time was because he got disenchanted by medicine when his three children um, died of meningitis and there was nothing that modern medicine could do to save them. So he took it upon himself to find another way to be of service to his patients, um, a better way. And um, with that, he, um, became, he was very intrigued by the human body and how it worked. And he studied a lot of anatomy. He studied a lot of cadavers. And um, with that, he saw that there's a relationship between, interrelationship between the structure and function. If the body, um, something's wrong with the structure of the body, the body's not going to function optimally. Um, so he started um, doing a lot of manipulations and working with the body to um, alleviate any areas of restrictions in order to improve function. Um, and he also took a lot of influence from um, modern philosophers and from religion, and he studied, you know, physics and biochemistry and physiology. And he you know, really also believed that all living things were created by a perfect God. And if that were so, then humans were the embodiment of perfection. And with that, humans were made to be healthy. So how osteopathy differs from allopathic medicine is the foundational philosophy that the body um, is treated as a whole, um, as a complete um, being, not as separate parts, um, and the body has its own ability to heal and to adapt, um, and its structure and function are interrelated. So... Patients who walk into your office, have they uh, typically already sought out allopathic care, or um, have they just been kind of uh, committed to a more holistic approach to begin with? Um, I get, uh, you know, a broad range. You know, most people are coming to me. um, I have many patients who come to me, they know osteopathy. They've been seeing osteopaths since childhood, and and that's what they're seeking. Um, They know that it works for them, and that's what they want. Um, I have a lot of patients, if they've never heard of an osteopath, never been to an osteopath, this is their first experience. And then there's the group of patients that have tried everything else and nothing else has worked, and they're coming to me and we want to experience something new. Um, so it's a broad range. I have several physicians that, you know, refer to me, and, um, you know, patients um, are, you know, referring their friends and family. So, um it's a broad range of how people end up coming to me. What do you feel in like the grand scope of 
illness, the, the conditions that osteo, osteopathy targets the best. Do you think that um, there are certain things that uh, lend themselves well to, to uh, the approach you've mentioned? Um, as an osteopath, I treat everything. Um, you know, clearly if there's, you know, a, a trauma that's not stable or somebody's in the midst of a heart attack, you know, we want to stabilize the patient. Um, but um, there's always a time and place for osteopathy from my perspective. Um, and I had, you know, great training in the sense that um, – I did a residency program in traditional osteopathy, and the residency program was hospital-based. So we treated level one traumas as soon as they were stabilized. We treated surgical patients, again, as soon as they were stabilized. Um, we treated um, the kids on the pediatric floor. We treated the newborns um, that were born in the hospital. My youngest was 20 minutes old. We treated the moms after they delivered. And then we had um, clinical uh, practice where we had more continuity of care. Um, and so it was a huge range, and there's so many aspects of um, osteopathy that anybody can benefit from at any point in time. Now, as we've really said, you specialize in osteopathic manipulation. Um, can you explain uh, what that is in some of the more spe- specific techniques like cranial oste- osteopathy, visceral manipulation, and biodynamic treatment? Yes. So, um, you know, to me, it's not so much technique. Um, We learn technique in the beginning of our training in medical school and in in courses. Um, And um, all of that is foundational to where we are in our practice at, 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 at any moment in time. But osteopathy is really learned through mentorship. It's learned through, um, it's, it's an art, it's an experiential art. Um, so the best way to learn that is through mentorship. And so the elders pass on their skills from their years of experience to their students. And there is um, many aspects to treatment that I think develop um, as you become more skilled, there are different things that you start to tap into. Um, and and with that, um, it's no longer technique. It's all osteopathy. They are not um, a separate entity. It's just different ways and different um, of treating um, all aspects of the patient. So the cranial sacral mechanism isn't a separate unit. Um, the rest of the body is a part of the body. The bio- treating patients biodynamically isn't a, isn't a separate part of the body. It's a part of the whole. Um, it's um, what you're paying attention to at the time during the treatment. Um, to me, it's all one. It's something that I'm doing on my patients all the time, all at once, if that makes sense. <laughs> How, how do you explain osteo, osteopathic manipulation to your patients? How I explain osteopathy to my patients is it's a method using hands-on diagnosis and treatment 
helping the health back to the surface to help patients access the health that is already there. Sometimes I'll use a direct technique and I'll engage engage with the lesion and you apply a little bit of force and match the force that is in there um, to disengage something that's stuck. And sometimes I'll use more of an indirect technique where I'm bringing um, the lesion to a point of balance. And with that, there's a potency and a wisdom and a health within that comes to the surface and does the magic and disengages the lesion itself. Um, and how have I come to this point of knowing what to do and how to get there and what technique or method to use? I listen to the patient. I listen to the body and what it's telling me in that moment in time. And as much as I can, I try to get out of the way. I try to get my mind's vision for what I want to see and what I want to happen out of the way, and I let the patient on the table guide me. And that's just come with years of experience and years of practice learning to get out of the way and learning to listen and to pay attention to what's going on in that present moment. Um, and, yes, that's just taken a lot of practice. Um, but there are many techniques that we learn in osteopathy. Um, there's many um, styles of treating. And I've learned and had teachers um, that have practiced in many different ways. And I've taken a little bit from all of my mentors and I made it my own, which is what we all do. And Dr. Still, the founder of osteopathy, that's what he told us to do. He said, take my work and then dig on. Learn more. Find your way. Um, and that's what I'm doing is finding my way. And, um, you know, my relationship when my hands are on a person's body um for the most part, I'm trying to get out of the way and listen to the, what the body needs in that moment of time. Yeah, I can certainly hear the wisdom and ease associated with getting out of the way. I mean, or at least conventional medicine as we know it is all about these interventions that are very much getting in the way, um, which you know can be appropriate and, and needed, but I think there's also a lot of refreshment and just getting out of the way. Can you speak more can I, about... Can I speak, can I speak on that for just a moment? Sure. I, I think a part of what we need to practice getting out of the way of is the health. And we all, we all get in the way. We want to do something. We want to make something happen. Right? And we do that in our own personal lives. Instead of just sitting back and watching and allowing the health to surface, allowing that inherent wisdom within to come to the surface, it's not just a beautiful conceptual idea. It's actually palpable. You can feel it. And if we take the time to just listen and allow it to surface, it is the most beautiful thing to witness. And it's a practice. It's a practice to sit back and to trust. And one of my teachers said to me once, you know, because there are days when I can't see it and it's not as a parent. And he told me to trust in the unseen as much as the seen. Yeah, there's certainly an element of faith there. Can you speak more to that in that kind of your, your senses and your faculties well, as a human being can only take you so far and you need to 
leap into the unknown if you truly want to get out of the way of your health? Yeah, there is definitely an element of space. But osteopathy is a science. And it's knowing in-depth study of anatomy, physiology, biochemistry, and physics, and having all of that background and knowledge and developing your palpatory skills so that you can feel when there's something that's stuck and in the way, and then learning how to engage with that and engage with with the inherent health within, which is also palpable. And trusting that that is much smarter than anything that is in my mind. The help that I can palpate, the help that is there, trusting that it knows what to do way more than my mind can even conceive of. How much of it is also the patient kind of having faith in you to, to guide them in that way? Obviously, you have to have uh, faith in, and, and kind of that... Um, I don't know, not sixth sense, but sort of uh, that that wisdom to get out of the way. How much of it is also the patient has to 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 get on board with that as well? Well, I think a part of what happens on the table is this patient starts to experience health again. So if I'm working on somebody and um, the first place we start is um, allowing the patient get to a place of neutral, um, a place where the body gets more quiet, where they're starting to feel everything relaxed. They're starting to see how if, I, if they get quiet and the body relaxes and they start to get out of the way, something inside them starts to switch up. All of a sudden, their muscles start to relax. All of a sudden, their nervous system quiets down. All of a sudden, the chatter in their brain starts to go away. It's, an, it's not a faith, it's an experience, it's real. It's really happening. Something else is surfacing because they are getting out of the way. And, and it's in that quiet, it's, that's where the treatment starts to happen. That's where the health starts to come to the surface. That's when they are in the present moment, this moment in time. They've let go of everything in the past. They're not worried about what's going on in the future. They are right here, right now, in this moment in time, tapping into the health. That is always there. That we are always, so many people are just too busy and filling their time and filling their minds and their days and distracting themselves from what is there getting out of the way it's always there it's not a phase you got to experience it when you experience it you realize it's not a phase the only time faith comes in is sometimes it's hard to get there but it's always there so you believe that it's always there because you've experienced it before you know what it is and if you've never experienced it before then osteopathy can be one modality that can help you come back to the health that's always been there I can definitely hear in your voice the, you know, commitment and belief and trust uh, in this process. And you've alluded to sort of how it's been a long time uh, coming, right? You, you've had to sort of deal with being in the way for a long time. Could you talk more about in your own, like, you know, personal health and your, your, your 
uh, interactions with patients, how like that's unfolded to the point where you are today? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question, John. And that's that you're right, it has been a journey, and it's been a journey of, um, I think, resisting and fighting the the notion that the health is inside me and me reaching out for other people to heal me or other modalities to heal me. I've been on my own journey, yeah, and my own practice. And I've had many head traumas, and um, I went through chronic Lyme and, and biotoxin illness. Um, that has challenged me a lot and has challenged me in the sense of um, what is healing, and where is the health? And I turned and looked outside myself in many different um, ways. And it wasn't until I've come back to myself and osteopathy has only been a reminder of that, um, that I started healing on a deep cellular um, level. And I think a part of what my um, role in as a physician is to be the reminder um, for people of where the health is and to help them remember who they are. Um, so, and that's a practice. It's become my daily practice. Practice osteopathy for me is not just my profession. It is my life. It's what I did. It's how I perceive the world. It's how I perceive life. It's how I perceive people and how I practice my life. Um, coming back to the health, coming back to the health, coming back to this moment right here, right now, being reflection um, back to other people of who they are and where the health is and with, within them. And when I see a patient, when they come to me and they tell me their whole story, all I see is the beauty and the health within them. The story is just what the health has manifested within them that is now getting in the way maybe of them experiencing um, who they really are, and I am just their reminder, whether that's me getting them on the table and allowing their body to come to a place of stillness or removing, you know, restriction that might be causing pain in their body that, um, that has become the focus for them or that has kept them from being able to exercise or, or there's something going on in their digestive tract and I am doing visceral manipulation to relieve any strains and improve, um, digestive function. And now I can teach them, you know, better nutrition and inspire them to eat better and and be mindful in their eating and in the choices that they're making daily for cultivating their health. And that being their focus and intention, the health being the focus and intention, rather than the disease or the disease or all the, the fear and, and the polarization that is happening around us right now. We have a choice. What do we want to focus on? Where do we want to put our attention? Do we want to put it on the disease or do we want to put it on this present moment right here, right now in the health? I want to ask you more about sort of the, the doctor-patient relationship you have. Um, a, um, it certainly sounds like you have a lot of transformative uh, experiences related to health with your patients. So um, can you elaborate just on the intimacy of that relationship? I, and it just seems like it, it runs so much deeper than a lot of medical interventions we, we typically see. Yeah. So I, I have a unique medical practice. Um, 
And I've always done it this way. I started working out of my apartment in Brooklyn as um, a resident. We had some time our senior year to do some moonlighting. And I hung up a shingle and started seeing patients out of the front room of my Brooklyn apartment. And um, so from there, I always saw patients out of my house. And I still do to this moment. Um, And when I was pregnant, I treated my patients. And when I had kids, um, my patients would come. And on Saturday mornings, my husband would be upstairs making coffee. And families would come. And kids would go upstairs and play with my kids when I treated the parents. And it was um, a very intimate, family-oriented practice. Um, now that my kids are grown, people aren't going upstairs to play with them, but I still work out of my house. And, you know, the beautiful thing about my practice is I spend time with people. My initial visit's an hour and a half. My follow-ups are an hour. I really get to know a person and, um, and to know everything about them, what what every component of their humanity, their spiritual, emotional, socioeconomic, um, physical, um, what their family life is like, you know, um, their, their kids that just got married or they just became grandparents. And, um, yes, all of this is a part of, um, the relationships that I have with my patients. Um, so it, it is an intimate practice. Um, and you know, I, for me, it, it's got a lot of heart and a lot of soul, and that's the only place from which I can care for people. Also, with your patients, obviously a lot of what you talked about is, is very deep um, and even abstract. How do you gauge your approach to sort of meet them where they're at and, and, and give them what they're ready for as opposed to, um, you know, so as to not to overwhelm them if they're not ready to to, you know, meet the osteopathic approach, like, head-on? Yeah. Um, that's also been a practice. Um, and that's paying attention, you know, paying attention, knowing your audience. <laughs> you know, who is coming into the room at this moment? And you got to meet them where they are. Yeah, if somebody is coming in and they're eating fast food and, you know, they don't exercise and, um, you, know, you know, just getting them to um, start incorporating fresh, fresh vegetables into their diet, that's my starting point with them. I'm not going to all of a sudden be like, look, you've got to eat organic food, and um, you should only eat, you know, grass-fed meat and free-range and um, and do intermittent fasting and eat paleo. Like, no, you got to meet somebody exactly where they are. Um, otherwise, you're absolutely right. You do overwhelm your patients. So it's paying attention. It's listening. And that's why I, I spend time with people so I can get to know them. So I'm not imposing myself on somebody else. I'm seeing where they are and what are their needs in this moment in time. And I try to meet them um, and not have them meet me. So that's been um, a, a practice and um, something that I, 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 I'm I teach my students all the time. I want to zone in on the the spirit part here of of mind, body, spirit. Um, We've alluded to faith and uh, and having sort of like a faith and trust in in health. 
Um, do you do you seek to incorporate your patient's spiritual beliefs into uh, your osteopathic approach, and and how do you kind of uh, navigate that, especially considering everybody has you know uh, diverse diverse beliefs? Yeah. So um, I take a thorough history when somebody comes in. Um, from conception to birth. And one of my questions is, do they have a spiritual practice? Um, do they, you know, is, do they, do they meditate? Do they, um, pray? Um, are they doing yoga? Do they practice mindfulness? And from there, I can gauge where somebody's at. And some people are like, no, I don't. So, um, every person leaves my office with the same prescription. And that is to incorporate joy, laughter, and love every day into their life. And um, that in itself can be a spiritual practice. Um, it's coming to the present moment, to this moment. So when you're in joy, when you're in laughter, when you're in love, you're here. You're experiencing the moment fully. That's a spiritual practice. So whether somebody's sitting in meditation or they're praying to their God or practicing their religion um, or practicing mindfulness, to me, each of those are building spirit, cultivating spirit, um, laughing with your children, um, you know, doing, doing your artwork that brings you joy, that's feeding your spirit. Can you discuss, uh, I know you have a Instagram food blog, correct? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm not really good with social media, but when um, COVID came and we were in lockdown, I, I played with um, my food blog on Instagram. And as you can see, I haven't posted anything in many months, but it was really fun. Um, I really enjoyed it. I, I use food as medicine all the time. I have a degree in nutrition. And um, I, I love using food as medicine, and, and I've been practicing botanical medicine for years. I love foraging. I like I have my own medicinal garden, and I um, cultivate my own herbs and make my own medicine. Um, so I love sharing that, and I'll, I'll, I'll share that with my patients. I've done um, a couple years of um, 21 day cleanses with my patients where we really in depth go into food as medicine. And, and as part of that, as part of our meeting, um, I do food demonstrations and cooking demonstrations to teach people, um, how easy it can be to, to work in your own kitchen and make healthy food. So my, my intention with the food blog was, um, to take what I do in my 21 day cleanse groups and put it up on the blog. Like these are easy meals. Um, it's seasonal. So I guess the time I was doing it, it was spring. So there were so many great spring, um, greens coming up. Uh, we had ramps and, uh, a lot of my herbs and, and fresh, um, salad greens were coming up. So it was easy to, to post some easy things that I, I make in my kitchen that, um, and hopefully inspire others to, to do the same. But what is what is the healing power of food kind of beyond the zero-sum game that we often get wrapped into, right, of calories and exercise and, and so forth? How, how can, like, food heal you sort of beyond that, uh, you know, narrow scope? Um, well, the nutritional value of food, of course, is number one. So um, the most 
um, the more the color, the more colorful um, and natural. So yeah, you can eat colored foods, <laughs> but clearly vegetables um, and the more most colorful ones, the uh, um, ones rich in polyphenols, your fruits and vegetables. Um, those are going to be the ones that I. I encourage people to really focus on. Um, that's where you're going to get the most nutrient-dense um, foods um, from that group of foods. Um, so, um, so just the quality of food, making sure um, it, it's the least tainted from what, from my perspective. So, I, I really think, I really believe organic or you know wild greens, um, wild food is clearly the most. Um, nutrient dense, um, and then organic, um, or in locally grown, um, freshly picked. Like those are going to be the foods that people should focus on the most. Um, and then, it, you know, in terms of proteins or organically raised meats, grass fed beef, um, uh, free range chickens, free range eggs. Again, the most, um, nutrient dense foods to choose from that group of foods. Um, and same thing with grains. And, you know, I don't think there's one size fits all. There might be a group of people or some people that I, I, I might recommend that they keep grains low in their diet or the carbs low in their diet. It depends on a person's specific needs and what they're coming in with. Um, I might prescribe um, a certain dietary plan for them that might look different than somebody else's. But for the most part, the most nutrient-dense foods, most alive foods, you want that life force in the foods to come into you. Um, and then a part of uh, what you eat is how you eat. So sitting down, eating mindfully, taking the time to sit and enjoy your meal and just eat and not um, talk on the phone, not do your your work and your computer work. And I'm guilty as charged. I do this all the time as well. And it, I have to remind myself, no, take a break, sit and eat and allow your body to digest and assimilate. Um and so that's another part of fooding, food fooding, <laughs> that's a good word, of eating and nutrition that um, I try to impart on my patients and on myself, remind myself as well. <laughs> so a couple more general questions here. Um, can you just talk about how in your, your life and your practice of osteopathy that you balance the, the science and art of, of medicine? Yeah, um, it is a balance. Um, you know, it goes back to, or maybe, I don't know, my old, what was that? I was just going to say, maybe like what, what aspects or, or what parts of your practice do you feel like are more um, embodied kind of the art of medicine and what parts are more um, scientifically rigorous, rigorous? Yeah, so it's both. They're, they're, they're both important. Um, I'm constantly studying anatomy. I'm constantly studying physiology, taking tons of courses in osteopathy, going back to learning embryology and the details of anatomy. Um, and, you know, taking tons of functional medicine courses and webinars and um, learning more on the latest information on, you know, how to treat uh, digestive problems or cardiometabolic um, issues. So the science is always there. Um, it's always the foundation. It's always it, it is always important and crucial aspect of anything that I'm doing as a physician. And then the art is 
making sure that I don't forget about the health, making sure that I don't forget that what happens in the stillness, that, yeah, I could give my patient botanical medicines, um, vitamins and nutrients, and if they've disconnected from the health and they're doing all of my recommendations out of fear, out of a goal to overcome something, I don't know if they're going to really work necessarily. Um, they might work to some extent, but it's going to work a lot better if they connect back to the health, if they come back to the present moment, if they learn to let go of the past and not project into the future and come back to now and take those supplements and nutrients from a place of mindfulness, then they'll work a lot better. They might not need them at all. Um, so I take all the knowledge that I've gained and the information that I learned, and then I put my hands on my patients. And in the treatment, all of that knowledge is there. But in the moment, all that matters is the health, allowing the health to come to the surface. Yes, it's important for me to know the anatomy of the hip and how it articulates with the ilium and all of the ligaments and the SI joint and how, you know, the psoas muscle comes down and attaches to the lesser trochanter of the hip and the psoas muscle blends in with the fascia of the medial arterial ligament of the diaphragm. So you have a direct connection between the diaphragm and the hip. And all that's really important for me to know when I have my hands on because I can see that connection between the breath and the motion of the hip. Because I understand the anatomy and I understand the physiology. But within that is the health, is the stillness, letting that health come to the surface and do what it knows to do. It's wiser than my mind, wiser than the knowledge that I have attained. All of it's important. All of it is crucial to that moment in time and that treatment. How do you reconcile uh, mortality and death with the health? Yeah, so. And, you know, how do you look at, what do you, how do you look at health, um, death? Death is just another manifestation of health. It's not a separation. It's not the end of health. The health is always there. The, um, the gener generative embryologic forces are retained throughout life. Those are the healing forces that are probable and they are in the body. The cells are always dividing. Health is always there. Dr. Still, he describes um, the health as the motion that is present. Um, so motion is always there. Motion is always there. It's health. And when somebody's at the end stage of life, we're all, we're all going to get there at one point in time. Is that not just another manifestation of the health? It's a part of life. Something just popped in my head that um, are, I'm sure you're familiar with, um, like like acupuncture and qi, kind of like just the energy, or is it chi? It's chi. <laughs> I mispronounced yeah. it, right? <laughs> um, do you consider like chi and health and sort of like your life energy? Like, are those all synonymous in your eyes, or? Um, perhaps I, I can't speak to those modalities because I haven't studied them. Um, but, um, all I, you know, I know osteopathy, I know the language that I've been taught. Um, it might be just 
you're right, like just a language and what that, um, you know, and other modalities or other philosophies um, have talked about, you know, the health in, in different terminology. Um, it, it just might be a matter of language. But again, I can't speak directly to that. I, I, you know, I study osteopathy. And so it's, it's that language that, and the experience that I've had through um, treating people and what I feel with my hands and through my own practice of, you know, you know, I've been meditating for over 20 years and what I experience in my own um, personal daily practice um, of what I call the health. Some people call it love. Some people call it divine. And, you know, there's many, many names, chi, life force. Um, I don't know, maybe it's all the same thing. It's hard to know what other people experience. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Sometimes I, call, sometimes I call it love. And that's what it feels like. It's just a big, expansive place where you just feel one with everybody and everything. Well, it's just a word, right? <laughs> it's just a word. It's hard to, sometimes when you put a word and you try to label something, then it loses its um, real meaning. Yeah. It, 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 it confines it into being something. Can only be experienced. Right. Mm-hmm. Last thing for you here. How should, so if I feel, um, you know, ill or in need of health, how, how should I approach the decision of choosing a type of a medical practitioner, be it allopathic, osteopathic, homeopathic, a chiropractor, etc. It's it can be, I guess, a bit daunting. And I imagine you would have some advice for for someone who who's trying to seek out care. Yes, um, I'm laughing because I'm my my answer is going to be the same. Is follow your heart. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, there's a lot of choices and I think, you know, you can reason and, and give yourself, um, a, you know, an explanation for why you should do, do this or why you should do that or, um, for any aspect of life. But I think if people take the time to feel into, um, the choices that they have to make, whether it's what kind of physician to, to, to see or what they want to eat for dinner tonight, <laughs> Like, if they take the time to just sit and feel what feels right to them, they'll, they'll, they'll get the answer. And, it, and it's, information is power. Information and knowledge, yes, it's very powerful, and it's good to know and do the research, you know, like, what are the options that are out there and what might be the best choice? And there's there's so many options now, um, you know, for healing and, and different modalities and um, learn about them and ask questions and get other people's opinions of, of what um, what has worked for them. You know, hey, I'm biased. I'm going to tell you the theme I'm going to have. But, you know, um, when you're making that choice, always follow your heart. You know, feel. Feel what, learn to um Move into your body, out of your mind, out of your head, and move into your body, into your heart. And, and where are you getting expansion? Where does it feel right? Right on. I'm going to jump into a lightning round here, a series of fast-paced questions to tell us more about you. Um, so we're recording this on Halloween, so i got to ask you what your favorite Halloween candy is. <laughs> um, back in the day, my favorite Halloween candy was definitely Kit Kat. Kit Kat. 
Yeah, and I still love chocolate, except these days it's definitely organic dark chocolate. <laughs> Does it taste a lot better? And if, and if I and if I want the crunch, it'll be with almonds. <laughs> <laughs> what's uh What's the best Halloween costume you've ever had? Um. My husband is a, a redhead, and uh, one year we did Raggedy Ann and Andy, and his name was actually Andy. So that was a great costume and a load of fun. We had a good time that night. <laughs> <laughs> um, as we said, uh, you're, you're big in nu- nutrition, so what's your favorite dish to cook? My favorite dish to cook? Ooh. Um, ooh, there's so many. Um, but I'd have to say... Um, a staple, easy, and something that I always crave is sauteed greens. I know it's so simple and easy and silly, and really that's your favorite, but yes, I crave greens, and I'm a bit more bitter, the better for me, and tons of garlic, and I think my favorite all-time food is butter. I love grass-fed butter. <laughs> didn't didn't know we'd be hearing that from a doc, but I guess uh, go out and get some butter, guys. <laughs> yeah. uh, what's your go-to self-care technique? What what am I caring for? As in as in just like this encompasses everything. Um, dancing. Dancing. Definitely nice. dancing. Mm-hmm. I love to dance. Um, I've done all kinds of dance um, and um, five rhythms and um, conscious movement practices. And sometimes when I feel stuck, my body hurts, I'm stuck in my head, I can't get into quiet down to get into meditation, I put music on and I move. And that always does it for me. That's awesome. Joy, laughter, love, right? Um <laughs> An area of medicine or healing you would like to explore more? Um, neuroplasticity. So I've been um, very into and intrigued and have been practicing um, different types of practices that um, involve neuroplasticity and the brain's ability to um, change and rewire. Um, and all of that really intrigues me and fascinates me and something that I spend a lot of time um, researching and reading and exploring and practicing myself. All right. Lastly, biggest change we need in healthcare. Um, the biggest change we need in healthcare is I think more global focus on the health. There's so it's all focused on disease and treating disease. And I would love to see more, uh, research, more funding, more um, programs promoting health, better quality food, better quality air, better quality water, just the basics, Um, teaching people to disconnect rather than connect more um, onto technology and um, return back to nature and cultivate relationship with nature, Um, more funding for that more awareness of the importance of that, more just uh, research on, on, on the health and what makes somebody healthy um, rather than treating disease all the time.
I think the focus is on the wrong part. Dr. Sean Tepper-Levine, thanks for joining the show. Thank you so much, John. I had a really good time talking to you today. That concludes this episode of Esculapius. Till next time, I'm your host, John Neary. Be well.